Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, Twitter, and Rumble. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Amy LaFoy spotted it first. Look like a local to you? I don't know how you would tell. guy's insides have been shredded. It's Dr. Cool Parsons, physics genius. He leased a place up at Lynx Creek about 15 months ago. I gotta head up to Lynx Creek. Gonna need some transportation. Something happened to this house since I last saw it. It's not the same. Generator's out. Let me see if I can get it working. They are opening the gates to hell here. And I'm telling you, Parsons, he's at the center of it. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 543. Released in July 12 on video on demand is The Breach, a sci-fi horror that stars Alan Hawker as a small town cop whose investigation of a mangled body leads him to a cabin in the woods where a horrific mystery awaits. A cosmic horror creature feature that is filled with nifty practical effects and compelling mystery the Breach also marks the latest film from director Rodrigo Gordinho, who is also the founding editor and publisher of Rue Morgue magazine. I'm glad to say that Rodrigo joins me now on the podcast. How are you today? Good. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. I mean, it's a pleasure to have you on. Like, number one, Rue Morgue magazine is like a, an essential read for all of us horror buffs out there. So I just want to say thank you for given us what now 25 years of uh of uh, publication of uh of that magazine um so that's a, a huge uh huge you know feat for yourself uh to, to to be able to pull that off and do that i think it's just absolutely great that you're still around and and pulling out content and now you're this is your second film as a, a feature filmmaker um you've done heaps of shorts before that as well what i find really interesting in regards to the breach though is that usually when it comes to your your previous feature film and your shorts as well, is that you usually write your own stuff, right? Um, this time, they, they we're dealing with an adaptation of a film by of a novel by it's actually an audio novel by Nick Cutter, who I didn't know this is actually the pen name for Rachel and an author named Craig Davidson from um, Toronto, um, and so you uh, you are presented with this audio novel 
it's something different that you haven't done before. It's a creature feature. Um, what was it about the, the the novel, about the material? Did it really spoke to you as a filmmaker and a storyteller where you said, you know what, this is something I want to really dive into and uh, get my, uh, down and dirty with? Right. Well, the first reason really was the pandemic, COVID-19, which, uh, you know, had us all in lockdown. And so this script came to me in, in the middle of that. And uh, <clears throat> I have to say that one of the big reasons what I wanted to to get out there and shoot a movie was just because, you know, I was tired of looking at the four walls, you know, everybody, mm. there was nothing going on. Um, so it was an adventure that I wanted to embark on. But yeah, in terms of the story, I mean, I wouldn't have done that if the story, if, if I didn't connect to the story. Um, <clears throat> I liked the way the script moved and had a lot of a good pace to it. And it had a, a lot of different elements. It had the haunted house sort of element. It had creatures in it. You know, it, it, it was, it had suspense. It had, um, you know, d different things that 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 I felt were uh, that could give me experience behind the camera stuff that I, you know, that I that I wanted to uh, that I thought could make a really good movie. Basically, is really what it came down to. So I was excited by that prospect, and um, I did make some changes to the script. Uh, thankfully, uh, Craig and his co-writing partner Ian. Weir, as well as uh, the uh, producers, were very uh, open to me doing so. So I added some more Lovecraft elements, and I changed some things around, and kind of made it more my own. So, so it you know it, it definitely became even more of an interesting project at that point. I love um, the practical effects that's in the movie. I'm actually I'm a really big fan. You know, I think a lot of people in my generation who grew up watching kind of like a lot of the practical effects work in movies from like the, the likes of John Carpenter and, and Stuart Gordon, et cetera. Um, we always kind of look out for movies like that because even though there has been advances in visual effects technology, there's something very kind of tangible, physical about the practical effects experience. Um, and talking to a lot of filmmakers over the years, um, I find it interesting when they talk about it, how it's almost kind of like a, a really cool experience for directors and cast and crew to be part of that as well because they're not doing something on the green screen. The things are right in front of them. Um, here are these uh, genius special effects artists and creature effects artists creating this stuff, and it's right in front of you. Um, what has that experience been for, for you as a, as a filmmaker, um, having you know taken part of that kind of like whole creature feature um, uh, horror experience now? And is it something that you really want to kind of dabble, um, dabble into again in the future? Because I think um, the way that uh, the approach of it in this movie, uh, the the tangible sense of that that blood and muscle and tissue and gore work, works really well um and uh, i'm just curious as to um whether it's something you'll want to do again because i think you really uh, knocked it out the park this time thank you uh yeah i mean i'm a child of the 80s 80s horror films you know and i grew up on that sensibility and that aesthetic and uh, i you know i was never super uh, convinced by CGI, even as, as good as they have come um, and have, you know, I've seen some great CGI work, obviously, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm old school in that regard. And for me to do practical effects in this movie was, it, it, it was a no, no, there was no argument there. I needed to do it that way. It was just the tone of that, uh, of the film. <clears throat> Thankfully, because of COVID, I had um, access to some very talented people uh the uh, uh my effects man was uh D daniel baker and his team put together these creatures at a moment's notice and we were able to kind of bat around a bunch of ideas and truly create something i think that was unique 
Um, but it was a ton of fun, you know, shooting something, as you say, on green screen versus shooting it, you know, practically um, is a completely different story. And even some of the shadow work that we did in the film was 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 created practically. And it's pretty amazing how you can get some of these effects just by using lighting and mirrors. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of easy to, to be on set and go, oh, let's just create something in post. We'll just put a green screen there and we'll just create. But um, there's an excitement that goes with, with, uh, with creating something that's in camera and having to choreograph it in a certain way. And so it's really cool because everybody gets to participate in that process. And I think, you know, in the end, the, the, you can see it in the film. You see it in the, the actual, you know, it's, it feels a bit more real, I think, ultimately. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like I said, I, I'm a big fan of it too. And um, what I really like about the movie as well is the this design of the house. I mean, the whole kind of cabin in in the in the woods kind of uh, trope is like very popular in horror, of course. But there's something I don't want to give away too much in regards to to some of the the plot developments. But the house itself is almost a living kind of breathing thing isn't it like it's almost like an, under a transformation and i know haunted house movies themselves are an entity but there's a physical element to the house um to the house itself when it comes to finding the house and doing a lot of the kind of like uh key designs of, of, of the of the of the house and a lot of the things in the, in the house um what was it like uh trying to number one find a house during a pandemic that's something that you're actually filming um and number two when you're looking at the house itself, do you um, do you have certain things in mind? Is there things that are in the book that you took um, elements from it and put it into the movie, or are you looking at it as a kind of like a fresh kind of palette for you to 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 paint with and to work on it because it's a whole new medium we're working with here? Right. Well, finding the house was impossible during the time of pandemic, so we actually created that house. Um, the house is actually. Um, uh, one of the strategies of production was that we had to bubble in a hotel. Everybody had to go in this hotel, kind of quarantine there. And then we came out and kind of, you know, everybody could work on this movie without any worries about anything happening. So everybody was just kind of bubbled. But what ended up happening was that we we had to create the house from scratch. So we used the ballrooms to create different, uh, you know, the attic was created in a ballroom of the hotel. And the main part of the house where you walk in is created in the, in the ballroom. There was some other dilapidated structure nearby that we shot some of the rooms in and then the front of the house was shot someplace else that was sort of like across from the parking lot so it was all piecemeal it was all sort of trickery to make it look like one house um to, to answer your question about the book you know the book was uh not ready by the time i received the script and by the time i from the time i read the script to the time i was shooting it must have been about eight weeks or six weeks so I never even read that book. I don't even know what what's in that book, really. Um, I do know the book was called Gone Up River. Mm. And that was the name of the script when I first received it. Um, then I made the changes and I, I came up with the title, The Breach. And I and then the book came out. It was called The Breach. So I suspect maybe there was a little bit of cross-pollination both ways. Um, but uh, the house was, yeah, I looked at a, a bunch of different houses. Um, I actually chose a house up north there in Toronto, uh, North Ontario, but it had just burnt down. So then it was like, okay, we got to create this thing from scratch because we really needed something special. And as you say, the house was changing and morphing and there was things happening in this house that, that had to be in, uh, not a regular house, not a, not a common house. 
So Slash is involved in this movie as both an executive producer and also as the composer for your the soundtrack. Um, first off, it's really rare to get a soundtrack, especially for a horror movie that is guitar-driven. Um, usually you're dealing with synthesizers and, you know, the kind of classical kind of instrumentation, but to have a kind of like a guitar score is something very different here. Um, but he's also on as executive producer. From what I understand from my research, you two were going to look at like doing a horror Western even before this. Um, and I don't know, that might still be in development or not. Was the conversations from that um, kind of like what led to you kind of approaching the two to go into the breach? Because now I think now he's even got like a, um, a production company up and running, doesn't he? And he's like going to go work more into horror. So is this kind of like the first, I know he's done a movie before this, but is this is kind of like the first foray of that production company moving forward um, with Slash? Are you going to do be making more movies with him? Um, and and what was it like kind of like working with someone like that who clearly is a big fan of horror um, and uh, can bring a real kind of like name to um, to a movie, like an independent film, and really help in regards to distribution and such? Yeah. Well, you're right. Slash and I met about 10 years ago, and we worked on a horror Western for a few years. Unfortunately, that project, uh, hasn't gotten off the ground as of yet. Um, so when this came along, yeah, it was kind of like an easy phone call or an email or whatever it was. It was just, hey, you want to take a look at this? Um, and um, he liked it. He liked the lookbook. He liked the script. And, you know, I told him, look, we're shooting in like whatever it was, six weeks. And um, he got excited about it and, and decided to come on board. I didn't, uh, you know, the, the whole thing about him scoring the movie came a little later. He was uh, rehearsing for this enormous Guns N' Roses uh, tour, worldwide tour, and um, uh, he he was able to to find some time to to write music uh, for some of the scenes. So I would put the scenes together, send it to him, and then he would literally write music for the scene. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that went on. <clears throat> so that was really special. I mean, yeah, you know, he's a he's a total. Uh, <clears throat> genre guy you know he really knows horror movies but not only knows them in the way of like oh i know the exorcist and the exorcist three or this or that or you know he can tell you mm. can nerd out on movies he, he knows he knows what makes a good story and he knows um how to identify a good story and i'm talking about obviously this is uh, you know before the movie is made so when you're looking at the paper you're looking at the script it takes a certain talent to be able to say, oh, this will make a good movie versus this needs some work and this is what kind of work that it needs. So he's actually quite adept at that. He's quite, he's quite, um, he's got a real talent for that. And so we connected on that level. And uh, yeah, one of the, I think the, the breach was a real, uh, really fun to work with. And I think everybody was very happy with the results. So we decided to create a new company called Berserker Gang, which will be putting together horror films, um, <clears throat> producing them with, with uh, you know, different writers, directors, and so on and so forth, um, moving into the future. So we're really excited about that, yeah. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Tee Public. Tee Public is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, Tee Public is sure to have something you love. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Amazon. The world's leading online store, Amazon is your first stop to buy a wide range of products at competitive prices with fast delivery times. Amazon is also a world-class entertainment hub that includes Prime Video, Audible, Twitch, Amazon Music, and more. 
sign up with Amazon today and experience the best in online shopping and entertainment. Please support Matt's movie reviews on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content, request movie reviews and top 10 lists, and help support my work. Please click on the Patreon link in the description below. There's another uh, uh, rock royalty in the movie in regards to Alec Lifeson from the Immortal Rush. I'm a big fan of Rush, and, and so I'm watching the film, and um, up pops Alex. I go, oh, hey, how you doing, mate? Um, and it's really interesting how he's in the film. It's kind of like a, like a cameo kind of performance. He plays like a kind of conspiracy theorist kind of guy. What was it like getting Alex on board um, on this movie? Yeah, it was great. You know, he was, uh, I had seen Alex Lifeson in a, in a Canadian show called Trailer Park Boys. And I saw that he had um, very good comedic timing. And he's kind of a clown and a joker. And I, you know, I, I, uh, I thought of him for the role of that. I, that was one of the things that I wrote for the script. And uh, that's why, one of the reasons why I called it Alex, because I was thinking of Alex Lifeson. Um, mm. and, um, you know, um, uh, and, and, you know, it just, it just worked out at one point, um, got the script to him and he was like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, Rush had just announced their retirement, I guess it was. And, um, you know, yeah, he just, he just decided to do it. It was really cool. And so we shot it in his home, um, or one of his homes, um, just in his little office there. And, um, yeah, I was able to meet him and. Um, he was, he was a little nervous. I mean, you know, he's, um, he's a rock guy, you know, he, he'll go on stage in front of 40,000 people or whatever it is and no problem. Um, but you know, there's a crew of three people and he's trying to get the lines right and stuff. He, he was, you know, it's not his, it's not his, uh, his, 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 you know, it's his comfort zone, but he did a great job and he had me laughing and, um, you know, it was just a real thrill and an honor to work with the guy. I, I, you know, he and I think he 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 really captured that role really well. I, I needed some levity in the movie, and I think he brought it. His character references something that I had no idea even existed. It was like some this fake spoof video that came out in 2016. Um, that was shot on uh, CERN, which is um the place I think it was where is it in um Sweden? Is it the um uh, the facility yeah. where they had the like, large um, hydrogen cold collider thing? And, and so many conspiracy theories have come from that place because, of course, they're dabbling with all these different elements of our universe. We have no idea what's going to happen with it. And it's really interesting how you brought that up in regards to The Breach because, to me, The Breach, I think, in a lot of cos- cosmic horror of, of that ilk, kind of, like, talks about our need to kind of, like, explore, like, these place worlds beyond our own um, and not through, like, you know, space travel or, or going in the oceans, but we're talking about, like, you know, different kind of dimensional kind of places and such. Um, mm-hmm. what do you think it is about us, our, our need for to 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 want to go to these or try to find these other places that uh, we will want to try to make a large, you know, collider holdren or, or what have you in uh, which could have the potential to like blow up that half the world or such or or even like the characters in your movie where they're driven to want to um kind of like tap into these other worlds and, and try to uh, harness that energy. What do you think it is as us as, as, as human, you know, human beings that want to um, dive into that um, regardless of any of the consequences that can come from it? Right. I think probably a lot of that is just the scientific pursuit that needs to know uh, know everything and dissect everything and analyze everything. But in the case of the breach, um, the whole idea was to marry the the sort of the quest to understand um, the outer world and also to explore the inner world. 
So Cole Parsons, the physicist, is kind of straddling that line. He's he's trying to find this physical space or connect with this other intelligence that might be out there, but is communicating to him from within. So where where is this thing and where is this other dimension? Is it an outer dimension or is it an inner dimension? Is it something that happens through the physical body uh, out, you know, into the physical world, or is it something that's experienced through consciousness? And I think um, one of the things about the breach was um, I do think that uh, modern science, uh, contemporary science, let's say, is kind of straddling that space, that liminal space. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, modern science sounds a little bit like witchcraft, mm. and uh, you know what I mean, and, and and kind of vice versa when you look at look at uh, occult practices now they they they're they they some of them are have kind of like a scientific flavor to them and they'll they'll incorporate uh physical form you know formulas of physics i mean to say uh in, into what they're doing um so it, it you know it was interesting to kind of um i guess imagine that there was a guy who was making those connections and and alex in the movie is someone that I want to kind of vocalize that, right? And just kind of put those ideas in, in the heads of the audience. It's really interesting when watching the film, you know, this is the first, I'm pretty sure it's the first movie that was made post-lockdown in Ontario at that time of 2019. And during that 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 time of, of COVID and lockdowns, everyone was online and everyone was like just constantly just diving into this, like, you know, this other, kind of like, I guess you could call it alternate world of, of the social media online sphere. And it's interesting how in the movie, people dive into these other worlds and their outer bodies, the physical, there's a physical transformation. But in real life, what's going, what's happening is that people are diving into these different worlds and there's an inner transformation, their mentality has changed. And I, I'm really convinced that we as a species, uh, you know, uh, aren't ready for that yet. I, I think we've kind of dived so far into the deep end that we can't get out now that we've changed. So I guess I guess maybe my question is, do you think that when it comes to kind of like the, the mental makeup of us as a species, especially in the Western world with social media and such, have we already passed the bridge and, is, and have we been transformed by all of this? Because I think to me it's a very uh, essential question, but also one that where it's uh, – very much uh, an answer of yes. I think we have been been transformed by this because I think our mental makeup has been changed from this uh, diving into this other other world. Um, uh, that's of our it is of our creation, but it's gone with the advancements of AI now. I think it's gone way beyond our capabilities. Yeah, that's a very very interesting question, Matthew. Um, very thoughtful. Um, yes, I do think that there there may have been um, a threshold that we have crossed. Certainly you know what people understand as reality now as as opposed to prior to the pandemic mind you it was it was a problem that was be, being exacerbated over time uh, as yeah. a result of many things but um but yes there's there's certainly um you know dialogue has become increasingly difficult between people who see reality in starkly different you know just completely different ways um, and also the bar for sort of understanding uh, something that is a is a, is a um, I'll say a legitimate source or a source that has been um, 
you know, it's a, it's a stable source versus something that's just kind of been put out there. You know, that, that those lines have been blurred. Uh, and as you say, um, with the advent of AI, I think this problem could just become more acute because mm-hmm. now we have um, AI, which is uh, this is going to be uh, uh, flooding, you know, our minds and the the mind of the public with 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 the other ideas, and um, maybe uh, these ideas uh, in in a different way, in a different form. Um, so I, I think it's you know right now. Um, you know what can I say? I do think like a solid education and being being a, um, having a, a media diet and being media savvy and having an education on, on contemporary media is, is essential. Um, otherwise, you know you're just kind of at the mercy of the forces out there, and you're inhabiting you know uh, your own sort of echo chamber and. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, it can be a very dangerous place to be, as we have seen. So, yes, I, I do think um, it's a very interesting question, the way you put it. I do think uh, that that has been breached. Um, I don't know. Was there a way back? Is there a way out? Um, that's a really good question. That's kind of a million dollar question. It really is. Um, I think maybe we just have to shut everything down from and start from scratch. But then again, you know. We can't do this. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a very, that's that's intense. Yeah, that that's a that's a that's an extreme solution. But who knows? Maybe that's required. Um, final question here. You know, for for such a, a long time, you you were and are, um, you know, uh, journalist, entertainment journalist, uh, publisher, editor um, for this kind of content that we're talking about, you know, horror movies and, and genre films, etc. But now you are making your movies and you have been making movies for quite some time, but this being your second feature film, um, you got to do a tour of the film, um, you got to do some film festivals and now it's coming out for a lot of people to see. I'm really curious when you are so long on the other side of the of the creative side, of, in, on, on the side of the media, and you've been writing about films, and now you're talking to people like me about your own films. I'm really curious about what that experience is like for you, and when now you are making your films, and you're kind of like on that other side of, of the spectrum. Um, does that change the way that you look at movies now? Do you um, look back on maybe movies that you've reviewed before, or you had um, ideas about before, and you think to yourself, well, now that I've made a film, um, you know, I, I maybe my opinions were change on things because I myself, I always try to when I approach movies now as I get older and the more filmmakers that I talk to like yourself, I always pro- try to approach it in a more kind of empath- empathetic kind of way. I want to make sure I can try to step in the shoes of the filmmaker, even though I'm not a filmmaker, but look at it in that film isn't just a, a creative endeavor. There's logistics, there's personality, there's, there's business, there's all sorts of stuff like that. So I'm just curious whether... There has been a change for you over the years as well. Ah, yes, absolutely. I certainly look at films more, filmmakers more sympathetically, and films in general. I think when I first started um, Rumor, I was, you know, I was full of piss and vinegar, and kind of mm. looking at the ideas that were happening around, and looking at other magazines and saying, you know, oh, they, they, you know, they they're missing the picture and they're missing that and the other. But I was always an ideas person. I was always, a, you know, I'm, I'm a I mean, I'm a filmmaker, but primarily I'm a storyteller. It's just that that film is the cho- the medium that I've chosen for now. 
Um, so uh, making a movie in particular is a very, very, very difficult. And so many, you have to kind of, uh, you have to really learn that, how to do it. It takes time to, to learn and to learn that craft. And there's a lot that has to happen, you know, to, to succeed. So, uh, you know, obviously when I was younger, I didn't take all that into account. It was just, to me, it was just the final product and the pure product. But now, uh, yes, so I see films completely differently. I see, um, I mean, there's still things I like more than, than others. Don't get me wrong. I still have an opinion, but I don't, um, I don't hold to my opinion so, so much as I used to, you know, I, I do recognize that, um, like when you make a movie, you, you kind of go all over the world with the movie and you have to live with everybody's opinion, right? You live with mm. not only this one magazine that you like or this one person, but you know, you could meet a person who doesn't like your movie and then you need another person that does like your movie. And then, you know, like that. And you just kind of keep going and keep going and you just keep meeting people. So you quickly come to realize that, you know, it's kind of like not your movie anymore. It belongs to the people who watch it. And, and if they think it sucks, then it sucks. And if they think it's amazing, then it's amazing. And that's just the way it is. It's not good. I can't change that, you know, and it, it I, all I can do is just let them have it and, and, um, and celebrate whatever, whatever it is, their whatever way they're connecting with that movie you know so um so it's been kind of like a humbling experience that way and i don't uh yeah it's um yeah i think that that's pretty much it that's all i have to say about that well for everyone out there listening you can watch the breach on video on demand july 12 that's for everyone in australia and new zealand um i'm pretty sure it's already been released now in the uk as well um in the us um so i really recommend people if you want to check out a really cool indie like a creature feature really cool special effects a really compelling mystery as well i didn't know where this, this story was going to go had really great twists and turns on it to me kind of reminds me in a lot of ways of movies kind of like invasion of the body snatchers and such like that like the, i really like those kind of uh, paranoia kind of like sets kind of like um, movies and and when you combine that with the kind of like the really craftsmanship that the film that has in this uh, that you have in the breach um to me it's like a win-win it really is i just want to say rodrigo cool. thank you so very much for your time today uh, and also thank you for all the years of hard work you put into room org and um i look forward to seeing more films from you hopefully now that uh the pandemic is behind us um and now you've got this production company up and going with, with slash and um we can see some more from you because I really uh, like what you're doing with your films and um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks, Matthew. I really do appreciate it, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and, and to showcase uh, the breach to your, to your listeners and your fans. So thanks, man. I, I really do appreciate it. And uh, we'll be in touch as soon as I get a new project out. We'll make sure you know about it. <laughs>